for club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it and we're live all right welcome everybody this is the reality czars podcast and i'm your only host tonight nate uh tony's at work and i have a really interesting awesome guest her name is Dr. Laura Sanger. And uh, Dr. Laura, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am on Telegram. Um, I'm also on Telegram. I go by uh, Laura Sanger, 444 Hertz. Um, but I also can be found. I have a website called nolongerenslaved.com. And then I also started a YouTube channel uh, called No Longer Enslaved as well. And I'm in the midst of doing a 10-part series on that channel called The Impact of the Nephilim Agenda Today. So I'm sure Ooh. we'll get into it a little bit. Um, but if your listeners want to dive deeper, then my YouTube channel um, is kind of the next level. But then the deep dive is the book that I wrote, which is The Roots of the Federal Reserve. And I trace the Nephilim from the days of Noah to the U.S. dollar. That's really neat. And I like how you're tying in the Federal Reserve. That's a, as a libertarian, that's a particular thorn in our side. The... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Laura, uh, how did you get interested in this? How did you, uh, I mean, for the guests, um, we're going to talk about Nephilim here. Um, and this has been something that has been crazy interesting to me. Um, I, I grew up Christian and I grew up reading about them and I, that blew my mind that angels had come down here and had, you know, sex with and made babies with humans. And um, it's crazy. It's a crazy thing. And it, and it happened. I mean, I mean, according to my beliefs. <laughs> right, right. Yes, mine too. <laughs> yeah. So how did I get interested in that? I, I'm a psychologist by trade. And you know, it seems probably pretty strange that a psychologist wrote a book about the Federal Reserve and then somehow tied it to the Nephilim. So I've, I have, a, you know, we all have a journey that we're on and my journey kind of led me uh, to this point. But just to give your listeners a little bit of a background. So I'm, I'm just one of those people, probably like yourself, that I absolutely love to learn. So I've kind of have this naturally inquisitive mind. So I'm constantly formulating questions in my head that I need to research and look up. And, and I actually um, started researching uh, in 1989. And so I've been involved in some level of research ever since then. Now, what I started off in um, was at the VA Medical Center in La Jolla, California, and I worked in the area of schizophrenia. So I was looking at extra pyramidal side effects of neuroleptic medication, which essentially means you know, when you medicate people that have schizophrenia, there are side effects. And so I was measuring those and it absolutely hooked me on doing research. And so ever since then, I've been doing some level of research and throughout the years, it's morphed into various different topics. But that I think having that research background really led me to digging into the Federal Reserve. And so when the economy crashed in 2008, uh, you know, we went through the Great Recession. We, as a family, had a personal crisis of our own. And our youngest son, who was 10 months old at the time, he was diagnosed with kidney failure and failure to thrive. And so we 
you know, he had this emergency hospitalization and he needed a surgery and we were in there for about 10 days. And then um, when he got discharged, it, it began kind of this long road of recovery. And there were times where, you know, I was strong in the beginning, but then um, as time progressed, you know, each morning waking up, not knowing if I would find him dead or alive in his crib, it really messed with my head. And so I tanked for a good year and a half, two years. And, um, you know, it was, it was just difficult times for us. But when I pulled out of that in 2010, I was super curious what the heck happened to our economy, you know, when I was in my funk and we were somewhat isolated from the worst of it. But, you know, I had to quit my full time or I wasn't working full time at that point, but I had to quit my um, form of employment. And unfortunately, we had horrible medical insurance at the time. So we had a, this mountain of medical debt and my husband's salary was reduced, you know, because of the recession. And so I realized I need to figure out what happened to our economy. And it was more just so that we as a family um, could make wise decisions with our financial investments. You know, we had to somehow dig ourselves out of the hole that we found ourselves in. And so that's kind of how it started is really just reading a ton of books on the economy, our monetary system, you know, the Federal Reserve. And it didn't take me long to realize there is a lot of corruption in our monetary system. And so that kind of intrigued the spiritual mapper in me, which is, you know, another area of expertise that I have. But that's kind of led me on the path towards digging into the Federal Reserve. Interesting. How's your son doing now? Um, he's better, definitely. He's 14 and um, he's actually a walking miracle. Um, his yeah. his blood work suggests that he should either be on dialysis or a transplant, um, but he has no symptoms. He has been super healthy. He's a competitive soccer player. He's growing wow. leaps and bounds. So God That's is fantastic. Good, yeah. You know? Amen. I have a 14 year old as well. So, ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see here. Um, we touched on a lot there. Yeah. 2008 was crazy. Uh, I had family that lost houses. Um, yeah. So how did you, so the federal reserve, um, what did you find? What was it that you found that was so corrupt? Like uh, what um, did you find Ron Paul? Did you find like, that was a lot of, <laughs> for a lot of people. You know, uh, I think my entry level into the Federal Reserve was reading Creature from Jekyll Island. Um, yeah. That, you know, a book that a lot of people have read. And that was kind of my introduction. And, you know, I um, I mentioned just briefly, I am involved in spiritual mapping. It's actually a, an area of expertise that I have. And it allows me to bring a bit of a unique perspective to the discussion on the Federal Reserve. Are you familiar at all with what spiritual mapping is? No, not really. Is that like discern uh, discernment or? That's part of it. It's definitely okay. used in that. So maybe for your listeners, I'll explain what spiritual mapping is because I, I really took the concepts of spiritual mapping and applied it to digging into what is the Federal Reserve and what are the roots of it. So um, spiritual mapping is, it's essentially, um, you know, digging through history to uncover the physical, social, and spiritual pulse of a society, whether it's 
you know, a city, a region, a people group, or an institution. And it involves, like I said, digging through history to uncover these ancient roots of defilement that are affecting Hmm. um, people and land. And so there's three different components to it. There's reconnaissance, there's research, and then informed intercession. And reconnaissance, I liken it to, um, you know, those of your listeners that are familiar with the Bible, when Moses sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. Yeah. Um, that's, they did reconnaissance. And also when Joshua sent the two spies into Jericho. And so what we do is we will send a team of people onto the land. So, you know, whatever it is, the assignment that we're working on. So, for example, we've... Um, living in Salt Lake City, we hosted the Olympics in 2002. So we've done spiritual mapping on the Olympics. We've had a drought for six years in Utah. So we did some spiritual mapping with that. We've done high schools. We've done, you know, different um, parks and locations. So anyways, all of that to say, we send a team of people onto the land and generally those people have um, a gift of discernment, like what you were saying. And You know, another way to say that is, you know, they can feel the vibration, the frequency coming off the land. They can they can sense the energy of what's happened Mm -hmm. on the land. And also these people typically are gifted in being able to see into the spiritual realm. And so we'll just go and we'll um, we'll discern what's there because, you know, we know from quantum physics, everything has a vibration, a frequency and a sound. And so the land itself has a sound, but it it's not necessarily something you hear strictly with your physical ears. You have to tap into kind of opening your spiritual senses as well. Yeah. So we gather information on that. And then um, the research component is you know, we have people who love to do research. I actually like to do all three of the components of spiritual mapping, but so we'll look at historical documents. We'll, um, you know, we use demographic data. We'll interview some of the locals uh, to find out, you know, from their perspective, what's going on. And then we find that looking through old newspapers is incredibly helpful because it gathers all this information. So then what we do is we compile it into what's called a prayer brief, which is usually like five to 10 pages uh, written prayer brief. And in that we identify specific prayer strategies. And so what we're looking for is we've discovered um, and those that are also involved in spiritual mapping beyond just our team, we've discovered that there's four types of iniquity that can establish a stronghold on the land. So an iniquity is a pattern of sin. And so the four types of iniquity are um, idolatry, sexual immorality, blood, bloodshed, and broken covenants. And so if those mm. things have happened on the land, what it does is it can establish the stronghold. So people I that- I could imagine live- there'd be some strong strongholds in Utah. There's yes. Some, yeah. Yes, for sure. And so, you know, people that live under the that stronghold, I kind of one way to think about it, it's like this thick blanket of oppression or darkness mm-hmm. that, you know, is suspended over a region. And so people that live there, they have they might have no idea what's going on, but they're afflicted. You know, they they feel the ramifications of it. And so yeah. 
Um, anyways, what, what spiritual mapping does is it helps inform intercessors to be able to go and, you know, uproot wicked structures to break curses that are on the land and then release the full measure of blessings. And so kind of the, the, the big picture goal is we want to see people set free. We want to see, you know, cities, nations, territories, people groups be able to reach their full intended God-given purpose. So anyways, I, I took all of that experience and I applied it to the research that I did with the on the Federal Reserve. And so my book, what it does is it it starts at the dawn of humanity or I guess they don't start there in the book, but it goes from the dawn of humanity to our current day. And I I'm able to trace the Nephilim agenda all the way through using some of these principles. That is really fascinating and really cool. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you explaining that because for my audience and for myself, I have a much better idea of what you're talking about now. And yeah, um, yeah that's really, really fascinating. I mean, I, I'm thinking about a verse right now. Uh, what is it? It's like the blood will cry out from the ground. Yes. Yeah. And it's. Yeah. And, yeah, and our our behavior, our choices affect the land itself. And that's throughout scripture as well. And so, um, you know, it there's an interplay. We're called to be stewards uh, of God's creation. And so, um, you know, we want to go into those areas where darkness exists and these strongholds and be able to to break that open and bring, you know, the light of the Lord um, and and to see people transformed. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you and my mom would get along great. She was, <laughs> she was like telling me or teaching me how to cast out <laughs> strongholds and, and demons from the time I was little. So that's, yeah, a, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And it's interesting how it all weaves together with, you know, what's going on in our nation now, this unconventional war that we're in, how it weaves into the Federal Reserve. And yeah, so. Yeah, let's talk about that. How does it connect here? Uh, how do the Nephilim uh, connect to the Federal Reserve? Well, um, maybe that might be a big. <laughs> it is. And yeah. let me break it down a little bit, because I um, I think it's so important to understand like where we're at right now in history. And then I'll go back and tie in the roots of where, how did we get here? And then I can talk about how it's connected with the federal reserve. Does that sure. sound Perfect. like a good plan? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think probably many of your listeners recognize that we right now we're in the midst of this unconventional war and, you know, humanity has really been under this constant barrage for um, a long time. And it seems like the ferocity of the attack just keeps getting more and more intense and so I think it's, you know, really important that we understand who the enemy is. Um, you know, in Hosea 4, 6, it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so when we think about like a military campaign, for example, you know, our military are successful when they understand who the enemy is and what the tactics that the enemy is using. Yeah. And so I think using those same principles for us, um, each one of us, I think it's important that we have an understanding of what we're fighting against. Because, you know, bullets aren't necessarily flying, missiles aren't flying, you know, but we're, we're in the midst of this very unconventional war. And so 
you know, a lot of people refer to the enemy as the deep state, the cabal, the shadow government, you know, the globalists. Um, what I like to try and bring to the surface and help people understand is I actually refer to the enemy as Nephilim hosts. And I'll explain that in a minute, okay. um, what that is. But, you know, past presidents, um, they've, they've gone before us and they've um, been able to look behind the scenes and see what is lurking in the shadows and what's operating. And they've actually warned us um, of what this enemy is that we're facing. And so Eisenhower, he identified them as a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, and insidious in method. And then when we think about what JFK um, tried to warn us about, he said that they're a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy, a covert system of infiltration, subversion, and intimidation. And then Reagan identified them as an intellectual elite from a far-off capital. And then more recently, Trump mm. um, identified them as a failed and corrupt political establishment, a global power structure responsible for the economic decisions that have robbed us. And so here we have these great men that have peered into the darkness and see you know, what, what is operating in the shadows. And so I think that's important, first of all, for us to keep in mind. Second is, you know, in, in 1776, when our nation was being founded, um, at the same time, the Illuminati was birthed. And it, on May 1st, 1776, Adam Weishaupt instituted the Order of the Illuminati, which, you know, was in honor of Lucifer, who was the bearer of light. And the purpose mm -hmm. of which, you know, in founding the Illuminati was to establish this Novus Ordo Seclorum or New World Order. And, you know, those of you that have read a little bit about Adam Weishaupt, I mean, he was a narcissist of the highest order. He had these grand schemes of how he could control humanity. And unfortunately for us, he partnered with Mayor Amschel Rothschild, who was the patriarch of the Rothschild banking dynasty. And so together, what they did is they came up with this sevenfold plan for world domination and it's a little eerie that as I go over this, how much we're living in these things right now. So their plan was to abolish national governments, to abolish private property, abolish inheritance, destroy patriotism, destroy Christianity, destroy the family unit, and then create one world government or, or a new world order. And so, you know, as we think about what we're living through right now in our generation, you know, I'm I'm 53 and I can see throughout my life how the attack on patriotism, the family unit and Christianity has only intensified over time, at least in our country. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. You know, we can see that there's really this this progression towards one world government. And when we consider, you know, a global crisis like we've had with COVID-19, where almost everyone on the planet has been affected, you could see how these Nephilim hosts are carrying out their agenda of total domination. And so that's why I think it's so important we ask the question, like, what are the roots to these power structures? And, you know, what are the origins of it? And to answer those questions, we have to go back to the dawn of humanity because its origins are in the Nephilim agenda. Cool. I 
You got me. You have my <laughs> solid attention. I'm loving every minute. <laughs> Just interrupt me if you have any questions too. <laughs> oh, I the only thing I was going to say what I thought was really interesting. I think you said it was, I think it was Reagan did he describe it as a monolithic group? It was, was it or was that JFK? Reagan was an intellectual elite from a far off capital. Oh. It was JFK that said monolithic okay. and ruthless conspiracy. That is so fascinating to me because I mean half the time I think that there might be like one head to the snake, like one group. And then other times I think it's like competing factions, like mafia families. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to nail down exactly what this is, but the more and more um, I've been really looking into like this whole Saturn worship, mm. you know, and you can see that, that there, whatever this is, there's one belief system tying it all together. So yes. whether or not there are different factions, like there's probably different competing groups of psychopaths, you know, but right. there's one, yeah, monolithic religion tying this all together. And yes. And that's what I identify as the Nephilim agenda. And so, um, you know, in thinking about unpacking that a little bit for your listeners, um, the the Nephilim agenda was unleashed during the days of Noah. And so those that aren't familiar, it, it's the plan to defile the human genome through the propagation of a hybrid race, and the purpose of which is to overthrow God's kingdom. So it's no small agenda. And the origins of it can actually be found in the seed war of Genesis 3. And I want to read just two passages out of that chapter. It's verse 14 and 15. And it says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this, this um, passage in scripture describes the beginning of the seed war. And so what we have is, after the fall, Yahweh declared war between the seed of Eve, which is humanity, and the seed of Satan. And one day Eve's seed would crush Satan. And that was a prophetic declaration of the coming Messiah. Those that is so interesting. Yeah. And thinking about that now, it's so obvious. Yeah. 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 So that's really neat. When, when the seed war began, Satan had to develop a strategy. And so his strategy was to contaminate the seed of the woman so that the promised Messiah couldn't be born. And so what Satan did then was to defile the, you know, alter the genes of humans. And this is where the fallen sons of God became really integral in Satan's strategy. And we can read about this both in Genesis 6, but also in the extra biblical text of the book of Enoch. And so what we find is that there were these fallen sons of God, they chose to leave their heavenly abode and they invaded the earth realm by descending on Mount Hermon. Now Mount Hermon is located on the border of Syria and Lebanon, just for, you know, those of you that kind of want a geographical reference point. And so these fallen sons of God descend on that mountain. And from there, they begin lusting after the daughters of men and they mate with them and defile their human genome. And give birth to a hybrid race of giants. And those are the Nephilim. Um, yeah. So, you know, from that, really, as we look at the Nephilim throughout history, they kind of have this ethereal nature to them. 
And so I felt that it was important to develop a set of criteria that would help us discern the presence of Nephilim traits in individuals. And so what I did in my book in um, chapter 13 is actually identify four physical traits and 19 behavioral characteristics of the Nephilim and their giant offspring. Because here's why that's so important. We cannot be deceived in thinking that the Nephilim only roamed the earth during the days of antiquity. I submit to you and your listeners that there are actually Nephilim hosts alive today, and they are individuals who have partnered with the spiritual forces of darkness to carry out the Nephilim agenda. In fact, you know, if we think about it, many of them are the titans of global governance. So these are the elites that are over banking and over industry and big pharma and media and the political establishment and the healthcare industry and all of that. Looks like you had a question. Oh, yeah, just real quick. So do you think that these Nephilim are physically here or are they spiritually here interacting with us? Is this something like an interdimensional being? Physically. Okay. Yes, physically. So there's a difference between Nephilim and Nephilim hosts. Um, Nephilim hosts are people, um, but they have given themselves over to carrying out the Nephilim agenda. Um, but then there are also hybrids that have been born um, during, well, since the time of Hitler, and they present themselves as a physical body as well. So that there's a little bit of a distinction there. So Nephilim hosts are, are humans, okay, and Nephilim are hybrids, half yeah. human and part divine. Yeah. Very interesting. So, you know, when, when we think about um, these Nephilim hosts, one of the things that I think, again, going back to how important it is to understand our enemy. Now, we serve a God that's way more powerful, and that's the good news. And, you know, when we walk with um, the authority that Jesus has given us, we can trample on snakes and scorpions, which means we can overcome these dark forces. Um, but again, it's important to understand their strategies, and that's why... I think it's so important to lay out this Nephilim agenda because it really is the big picture of what we're experiencing now. And it goes all the way back to the dawn of humanity. So just to give you an idea, Nephilim hosts are intent on destroying the followers of Jesus and at the same time enslaving humanity through using control, manipulation, domination, and intimidation. And so you know, that's what we see happening right now. And the Nephilim agenda and the globalist agenda are really serving the same end goal. And that's the total domination of humanity. And so, you know, at the core of the Nephilim agenda is the goal to strip us of our humanity by defiling our human genome. And one of the ways that they're doing that is through transhumanism. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's really, really fascinating. I like that you're adding a spiritual component to this because I think that the majority of people can see a lot of this coming and a lot of people can see what's going on. But I think a lot of people, like you said, are missing that spiritual element that we think that this is all flesh and blood, but this is like principalities and these are demonic forces. Right. Yeah. I really think we're in this battle of biblical proportions, you know, between good versus evil. And so, 
That's one of the things that I, I feel called to, um, you know, there's a passage, Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And so that's really what God has called me to do in this season of my life is, you know, uncover these things that have been hidden in the shadows of time. So, um, but what's interesting, if I pick up a little bit on the transhumanism piece for a minute, I actually, um, I think it was maybe a month, month or so ago, I came across a presentation by a, a guy named, no, uh, let's see, Yoval Noah Harari. And he's a professor of history from the um, Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And he spoke in 2018 at the World Economic Forum. And he was right after Macron and right before Angela Merkel. So he had this huge stage. And the title of his presentation was, Will the Future Be Human? And mm. so I was incredibly intrigued. And I just, um, let me read an excerpt of what he says. He says, we are probably one of the last generations of homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different from Neanderthals or from chimpanzees. Because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. This will be the main product of the 21st century economy, not vehicles, textiles, or weapons, but bodies, brains, and minds. And so when he said that, it, you know, it, it really made me see this another layer of how the Nephilim hosts are advancing ways to replace us as humans. Again, that agenda is to defile our human genome. So if they can turn us into hybrids, then what that does is that can actually disrupt our ability to commune with our creator God. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, the speed at which they're progressing towards accomplishing this goal is really alarming. And I want to give you um, a few examples of what I'm talking about. So in 2005, uh, scientists discovered what was called the VMAT2 gene. And another term for that they, that they coined was the God gene. And so it was thought that this gene was responsible for our capacity to develop this spiritual connection with God. So if you think about it, if that gene then can be altered, it can actually hinder our ability to connect with God, um, which is pretty interesting to think about. And, you know, it, I want to share this because I think for so long transhumanism has been relegated to like sci-fi novels and movies and you know, it's been considered fringe conspiracy theory. But when I go through some of the stuff that's being done right now in the in the realm of science, I'm hoping your listeners will realize this is not fringe conspiracy theory. So again, so in 2005, we had the VMAT2 gene that was identified. Now in 2010, there was a geneticist named Craig Ventner. He's still alive, I believe. Um, and he created synthetic life through bioengineering a cell. And so what his critics actually accuse him of playing God. And they warned us um, back then that, you know, this could be this type of technology could be used to develop a biological weapon. 
So that makes me think about what was rolled out with COVID-19. Was this a biological weapon using some of Ventner's technology? So, you know, I want to be clear that what Ventner did is he actually altered the genetic code of life. And what experts likened his work to was the development of the nuclear weapon. Because Ventner's technology, when you pair that with something like CRISPR technology, which is essentially gene editing software, what it means is that scientists can engineer anything to create synthetic life. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, Ventner actually acknowledges that, you know, they can make um, all these different organisms and all they do is they attach additional genes to produce these proteins. And he talked about that these can be used in the vaccines. And so when you think about this, you think about, um, you know, this, this injection, this COVID-19 injection and the bioengineered spike protein, it kind of makes me wonder again, was some of this stuff used in the gain of function research that was done around this virus. So, you know, when we think about scientists creating synthetic life forms, they are essentially trying to usurp creator God. So that's a um, something really important to recognize. And then the, another step towards transhumanism is in 2019. Um, you know, we've, we've got this rapid progression of um, nanotechnology and AI. And in 2019, there was a um, scientists are trying to create this global super brain um, through using nanobots. And so there's a, a project called the Human Brain Cloud Interface Project. And I want to read just an excerpt from some of their, um, their literature. They say, nanobots would navigate the human vasculature, cross the blood-brain barrier, and precisely auto-position themselves among or even within brain cells. They would then wirelessly transmit encoded information to and from a cloud-based supercomputer network for real-time brain state monitoring and data extracting. Now, that's a lot of big words, but essentially Mm -hmm. what they're saying is the goal of this human brain cloud interface is to connect networks of human brains to AI to form this hive mind. And really that is the ultimate in mind control technology. And again, we have to ask ourselves, is the stage being set for this through the COVID-19 injection? Because we have to remember that Moderna calls their mRNA technology an operating system. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fan. It's really, really fascinating. Um, yeah, they've been doing this for years. I mean, when you think about like what Monsanto started doing with genetically modifying things like that, I mean, it's explicitly anti-life what they've been doing. And um, yeah, um, yeah, it's it. All of it is really, really fascinating. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know whether or not COVID-19, I go back and forth whether COVID-19 was like made in a laboratory or if it wasn't, because it, to me, it almost seems like it's the whole thing was just like a psychological operation because really, I don't think that many people died, but if the virus wasn't even there to kill us per se, like, I think they were happy if some of us died because they want some of us gone. But like you said, to instill maybe that spike protein, because, um, people or maybe to scare people into taking this vaccine, because I think that people that 
have natural immunity that have gotten the coronavirus, they have those same spike proteins, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like you're dang, you're danged if you do and you're danged if you don't. If you get the vaccine, you're getting the spike proteins. If you catch COVID, you're getting the spike proteins. The difference with the injection is that um, you're getting a massive hit of um, spike proteins all at once. And then mm. because of the mRNA technology, what it's doing is it's teaching your body to generate that. And so you become mm. a kind of a a machine of producing spike proteins. Um, but then there's also, you know, some of the, the lipid nanoparticles that deliver the mRNA, you know, though those in and of itself are problematic. Um, and then you also have the graphene oxide that's inside mm -hmm. um, the injection as well. And so all of these things together, um, you know, it really can set up a situation where, are these nanobots, these na this nanotechnology, um, are they crossing the blood-brain barrier? Um, one of the things that they're discovering is that, um, you know, the spike protein uh, can do that. It can yeah. cross the blood-brain barrier. So it's just, it's, I think it's really good to have eyes wide open, um, you know, understand how this connects together. And, you know, really seeing how this Nephilim agenda plays out here and now, um, you know, then kind of thinking about how does this then tie into the Federal Reserve? And so, yeah, you know, that mm -hmm. is um, it, it really was kind of this fascinating journey. And I have to say, I don't think I said this at the beginning, but I had no intention of writing a book on the Federal Reserve. What I did was I wrote a prayer brief in 2014. It was five pages. And we gathered some intercessors and we prayed through the things that I identified. But um, and then I thought I was done, you know, with that assignment and I moved on. But the Holy Spirit just kept nudging me to to keep going and to keep going. And so for a good year, I was doing research and writing and I had no idea what I was doing. I'm, I'm you know, writing and it's I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 pages. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is way too long for a, for a prayer brief. What the heck am I doing? <laughs> and then probably a year into the process, um, I realized that God is having me write this book. And I had no idea the twists and turns that this investigation would have. And I, I say that I wrote it in real time, which means like as I was writing chapter five, for example, I had no idea how any of it would come together. And um, I just was kind of each day waking up and asking the Lord, okay, what are you going to show me today? What, what do you have for me? Where, where am I going on this journey? And I'm one of those people, I love like treasure hunts and, um, you know, putting clues together and that sort of thing. And so that's so much what this journey was about. So all that to say, one of the things that um, in this investigation, that that I did was um, I, I liken it to an archaeological dig on language. And so what I did is I looked at the meaning embedded in the original language of different texts. And I also looked at the context, like the context in which these biblical passages were written, the context of the um, extra biblical manuscripts and even the ancient historical documents. And so what I did is by you know, digging into the etymology of these words, I was actually able 
to unearth these treasures that I feel like were hidden in the sands of misinterpretation. And so it's a little bit like looking through a telescope of vocabulary to reconstruct ancient events. And so that's what I did in this book. And I want to give you and your listeners an example, and this will all tie together, I promise. So it it comes together to explain like the roots of the Federal Reserve. And so, um, you know, in, in thinking about that, I actually discovered that the roots go back to Genesis 3.13, and I'll read that passage. So this is the roots of the Federal Reserve. It says, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, so we read that at face value. There's nothing in there about the Federal Reserve, right? You know, you would read that and not think at all about the Federal Reserve. But here's the beauty of scripture and digging into scripture is once you begin looking at the original language. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew for the most part, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so given this was in the Old Testament, I began looking up the Hebrew words for some of these words that were in this passage. So, for example, if we look at the word serpent, the Hebrew word for serpent is nakash. And it means um, a serpent because of its hissing. And then it comes from a root word that means divination, hiss, whisper, a magic spell, and an enchanter. Mm-hmm. So when we when we think about mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it, it's plausible that Satan appeared in this appealing manner to Eve, you know, masquerading as this angel of light whispering magic spells over her. So essentially what Satan did is engaged in witchcraft to manipulate Eve to walk in rebellion. And so that's what this passage is picking up on because, you know, she had eaten the fruit and the father is now confronting her in this, in this verse. So then if we look at the Hebrew word for deceived, it's the word nasha. And nasha means to deceive, beguile, mentally delude, morally seduce, to impose, and to cause to go astray. And that's all according to the Strong's Concordance. But then if we consider the Hebrew and English lexicon known as Brown Driver Briggs, they uh, define nasha as to lend on interest or usury to become a creditor. So did you catch that? So the Hebrew word for deceive means to make someone a debtor. So when I discovered that, I I literally almost fell off my chair. And, you know, what the Lord was doing is he was now piecing together the hidden agenda of the Federal Reserve. So when the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913, it was passed just before Christmas and Congress deviously passed this legislation to enslave Americans to debt, all the while enriching the coffers of the banking elite. And so the Federal Reserve System is rooted in nausea, and that is deception. It's the language of the Nephilim. It's, um, you know, who are the seed of Satan. And so um, in my book, what I do is I connect a whole lot more dots, as you might imagine. But from the days of Noah to our current debt enslavement system. And I look at the ways that it has defiled our monetary system. So then if we go back to Eve and we consider that, you know, she was beguiled by Satan 
and she fell into this trap of sin. Well, the consequence of which was she owed a debt for her sin, and that debt could only be paid by death. And one of the things that um, I did in writing this book is I, I read a ton. So I have 553 references for my book. And I, again, like the Lord would just lead me to these different books and there would be clues um, within the book. And so one of the books that I read is called Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters. You like that title? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's by Stephen Quayle and Dr. Thomas Horn. And they actually go into a little bit more detail about this passage that I'm speaking about. And they talk about this great deception and the ramifications. So I just want to read an excerpt. They say, this is the consequence of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, a consequence that continues to bear bitter fruit in our own sin to this day. The act of rebellion against the creator's command put humanity into such debt that it could only be satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ. But Mm. Satan was the banker who wrote the note. When I read that, another clue came together for me. So consider this. We Americans, well, yeah, I'll just stick with Americans. We Americans, we've been beguiled by these elite banksters who have been led by the great deceiver himself, Satan. And the entire Federal Reserve system is rooted in nausea. And in fact, you know, the, the, the six men who stole away on in November in 1910 on Jekyll Island to develop the arc, you know, to architect the Federal Reserve, um, they exuded Nephilim traits. You know, they were mm. master deceivers. They were skilled at lying to the American people, you know, pretending to have our best interests in mind, but all the while crafting this insidious system of enslavement. And so, Nasha is the basis of our filed monetary system. And when we think about it, the Federal Reserve is built upon usury and usury is lending on interest with excessive interest. And so, you know, it um, the Federal Reserve, their product is debt. You know, when you look at a dollar bill, it says Federal Reserve note at the top. Well, a note is a debt instrument. And I think about, um, you know, King Solomon actually summed it up really well. He said in um, Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. So here we have the same root defilement, you know, stemming back from the beginning of the ages. It's just over time been repackaged and renamed, but to carry out the same deception, And so thankfully, so many of us are waking up to this fact. And I think more and more people are wanting to know, like, who's behind the curtain? What who's pulling the strings? Like what's going on with our monetary system? And so I like to, you know, just highlight in the case of the roots of the Federal Reserve, um, you know, the seeds of Nakash. So, again, Nakash is that word for serpent, which means divination, enchantment and to whisper a magic spell the seeds of that were actually planted in the soil of Jekyll Island ages ago. And for those of your listeners who don't know, Jekyll Island is the birthplace of the Federal Reserve. And so kind of tying it back to what I was sharing at the beginning about spiritual mapping, you know, we can see that in the land itself in Jekyll Island, there's been this defilement and it's been perpetuated, like strengthened throughout the centuries um, through 
patterns of false worship, idolatry, enslavement, and even bloodshed. And so, you know, what we have is um, this perfect breeding ground for the incubation of the Federal Reserve. And I think there's um, just a couple of things to highlight in history, but I want to pause there because I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> okay. Um, I had a real quick question. So we were talking about um, the transhumanism and we were talking about maybe this jab is like prepping the body for this transhuman transhuman agenda, this transformation. Um, like I have a few loved ones and a couple family members that unfortunately did take the, um, it's not too late, is it, for them? Or <laughs> you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I'm I'm involved in a lot of different groups, patriotic groups, and one of the groups I'm involved in locally here is called Health Independence Alliance, and it's a group of medical providers that don't buy the narrative of COVID nineteen. Yeah. They see right through it, and many of them have lost their jobs because they refuse to get the injection. Some of them did get the injection to keep their jobs. So we've got people, you know, on both sides. Mm -hmm. But one of the incredible things is we have um, homeopaths that are in our midst. And they actually have been treating people that, you know, have gotten the injection and have had repercussions from it. So they've been injured um, from, yeah. from the injection. And so they have protocols that um, have been fairly successful, at, particularly um, with regards to the graphene oxide, um, okay. because that, um, you know, there's so, so many things within the injection that are problematic, but the graphene oxide, you know, when it's first injected, it's neutral, but when it comes into contact with 5G or EMS, mm -hmm. um, it 100%. develops a charge. And yeah. so, um, but they've actually been able to develop these protocols. So there is hope. We are never without hope. Okay. And so, you know, I have family members in the same boat, you know, they, they chose to get the injection. And if at some time their eyes are open and they realize, oh my gosh, what did I do? There are opportunities to try and as much as possible. Yeah. Reverse what you've done to your body. Yeah, I mean, it really is a scary thing because like you're saying, this Nephilim agenda is trying to corrupt the human genome, trying to corrupt humanity. And I mean, that is basically what this mRNA vaccine did. It changed and altered who you are. And I've heard reports from, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure you've heard the same thing uh, from several people that said they felt like their connection to God was cut off. Oh, wow. When they took that, they, they said like, I'm praying and I don't feel him anymore. I can't, I can't feel him anymore. And I thought that was like, you know, that's a crazy thing. Cause I mean, I don't necessarily think that this particular thing is the mark of the beast yet, yeah. but I think it's, I think it's like getting people used to the idea and getting them, you know, this is like a soft rollout, getting people used to taking this and having this, this is going to be tied to money. This is going to be tied to your job. This is going to be tied to your place in society. If you can shop, if you can participate in society in general. And so this is getting, I think, just people ready for that. Yeah, I agree completely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely hope um, for those that, 
you know, recognize what they did. You know, I would, for particularly for those people who got the injection and feel a disconnect from God, you know, um, if that were me, I would, you know, first want to start with repenting for even putting something into my body that maybe I didn't research enough and understand enough. And, you know, God is so good to forgive yeah. us, um, but starting there and then beginning to just ask the Lord for strategies, you know, how do I, how do I regain that, that connection with the Lord, you know, reaching out to others that, you know, maybe have solutions. And that's why I think it's so important that we all connect with one another. And that's why I love coming on podcasts like this. You know, I've, I've not been with you before. And so, you know, I'm reaching a new audience, but yet there's, there's a connection that begins to form and we all need each other because we all have like a piece of the puzzle in this grand mosaic that we need to offer to one another. And so it's, it's just beautiful to have that exchange and we're never without hope, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. God is good. Yeah. God is good. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted, if it's okay, I'll just finish my thought with um, the land Please. of Jekyll Island, because then I'm going to tie that to, where we're at right now and what's going on with our monetary system. So, um, so just to give a little bit of history, again, I go into a lot more depth in my book, but, um, in 1792, uh, Christopher Dubignon, he owned Jekyll Island. And, uh, so what he did as, you know, owner of Jekyll Island is he actually developed plantations and then he established slavery on the Island. And so then a generation later, his son, Henri Charles Dubignon, he orchestrated the arrival of a slave ship called the Wanderer onto the shores of Jekyll Island. And so what he did is he coordinated with this other man named William Corey. And in history books, it, it's recorded that William was this deceitful, conniving, greedy man. And he owned the Wanderer and together you know, they, they orchestrated um, 400 African people um, who were on this slave ship and landed on Jekyll Island. This was in 1858 when it landed. That was 50 years after the Act of 1807 that um, prohibited the importation of slaves. And so here we have, mm. you know, this was the last known group of people sold into slavery was on Jekyll Island. And so that gives us an example of how the land itself can be defiled. And then that defilement can be strengthened over the centuries, you know, through false worship and bloodshed and things like that. And then what you get is this perfect breeding ground for the incubation of the Federal Reserve, because the Federal Reserve act was this this secret pact to enslave billions of people with debt and you know all while using deception you know what i talked about earlier this this nausea which is the root of the federal reserve and so what they were doing is they were morally seducing they were mentally deluding um and they were beguiling people in order to impose usury on others and so that is just utterly reprehensible. And so, you know, as we recognize this, I think it's important to understand, like, 
as much as we can about the Federal Reserve and the strategies that the Federal Reserve uses to enslave us. Um, and I think by understanding that, then we can develop strategies of how to weaken the Federal Reserve. And so, you know, just to give you um, and your listeners some understanding and, you know, your listeners might already understand this, but I, it's something that I think every American needs to know about the Federal Reserve. And first of all, um, you know, our U.S. dollar is a fiat currency. And so in 1971, Nixon took us off the gold standard. And when he did that, the U.S. dollar became a fiat currency, which means it's backed by nothing. And so history actually proves that nations or empires that debase their currency, they will collapse. In fact, 100% of the time, fiat currencies fail because they buckle under the weight of debt and gold always wins. Now, in the more recent history, about every 40 years here in our nation, there's been a change in the monetary system. But we are now 51 years into this fiat currency system. And really, I mean, so many people probably know this because you just go to the grocery store and can watch the inflation. But we're really on the precipice of an implosion economically. And so it is critical that we are able to shift to something that a monetary system that is free from a central banking system. Um, and I want to, again, I, I'm called to expose things that are hidden in darkness, but I'm also called to be a distributor of hope. And so I want to share some things that actually I think are hopeful that the Federal Reserve is losing its grip on our monetary system. And um, I don't think it's well publicized. Like, I don't think many people know. So back in 2017, on September 6th, um, Stanley Fisher, he was the vice president or vice chair of the Federal Reserve. He surprisingly resigned. And at the time, what headlines were saying is that Trump handed a rare opportunity to reshape the Federal Reserve. And so I think um, that began this weakening of the Federal Reserve and this, this reshaping that was happening. Then on March 27th, 2020, which happened to be two days after I finished writing the roots of the Federal Reserve, Trump, President Trump signed the CARES, CARES Act into law. And so what that did is it allowed the Treasury to set up what's called these special purpose vehicles uh, in order to invest in these um, specific debt assets. And so this was established um, to backstop loans and to prevent defaults and really to prevent the collapse of our economy. So what was brilliant is that the Treasury, what they did is they provided the seed money for these special purpose vehicles, but then they forced the Federal Reserve to pay the rest. And so what that did is that placed the Federal Reserve underneath the Treasury. Now, that's huge because the Federal Reserve is an independent agency made up of privately owned banks. So it's not part of the government. But this was the biggest shift the biggest transition in the Federal Reserve since its inception in 1913. And this happened hmm. in 2020. And so what happened is you have Trump and Mnuchin. Mnuchin was a secretary of the Treasury. 
what they do is they actually demonstrate to the world what a treasury can do, not a independently owned central bank, but what a treasury can do um, in working through an economic crisis. So again, we think about the crisis in 2008, the Great Recession. That was brought about because of the Federal Reserve. Now mm -hmm. we have a crisis because of all the shutdowns with our economy. And with um, you know the Treasury uh, or the, the Federal Reserve coming underneath the Treasury, what some of the news articles were saying is this scheme essentially merges the Fed and Treasury into one organization. So meet your new Fed chairman, Donald J. Trump. And the impact mm. of what they did actually was felt on the financial markets immediately because we had the largest and fastest crash recovery in history. Um, and so then what happened is January 1st uh, of this year, 2022, the Basel III law went into effect. And what that is, is all banks worldwide are required to have asset-backed currency. And so those banks that are non-compliant will either be closed or they'll be consolidated. And this is yet another sign of transition, because what that means is we are moving from a fiat currency to an asset backed currency. And um, I actually I actually think that we're going to the monetary system that we're going to move to is a quantum financial system. Now, I don't I don't understand it that well. I'm, I'm barely just kind of looking into it and researching it. But the little bit that I do understand is, um, you know, it's going to use blockchain technology to democratize wealth creation. So the elites won't have, you know, the, the leg up that they've had in the central banking system. And then also it's going to use this quantum cryptography as a level of security over our transactions. And so in thinking about um, the potential of moving to a quantum financial system, that means we'll be moving away from what we've known for the past 51 years. And that, that to me is yet another sign of how the Federal Reserve is weakening. And I think it eventually will be dissolved. It's, it's just a matter of time before that happens. So um, I pay a lot of attention to this stuff and I, I, don't, I don't mean to bum you out, but I, I, <laughs> I'm really honestly worried um, because yeah. I, you're hundred percent right that we are moving towards a transition. Like there's no way that we're not. And um, what I really see is them trying to turn this into it to start out with, because I, I'll send you some articles if you want after this, mm -hmm. uh, they're mm -hmm. talking about uh, making a U.S. digi coin. And so it's right. going to be the United States. It's going to still be fiat, but it's going to be kind of through a blockchain, but it's not going to be decentralized is the problem. So it's going to be very centralized and they're going to have control over it. And there's actually like a couple videos that you can hear from the World Economic Forum saying that like, mm -hmm. if we don't like a particular transaction, if we don't like a particular person, if they're not being social, uh, we can just stop that transaction mm -hmm. or we can take their currency. And so like, to me, it's terrifying thinking about uh, it <laughs> is. them so what being at the helm of this. Yeah. So yeah. what you're describing is this battle between good versus evil. Mm. So there's two monetary systems trying to be rolled out at the same time. The World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, 
that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But then this, which is the quantum financial system, would be more, I mean, if you were, it's hard to say a monetary system is good versus evil, but the quantum financial system is diametrically opposed to the world economic forum. And what what's out there in the mainstream and what everyone is hearing is the world economic forums, um, mm -hmm. IMF and, and the BIS, what they want to come for, you know, Klaus Schwab and, Mm -hmm. And his, you know, everyone will not have property and be happy about it, you know, own nothing. Dollar store happy. version of Dr. Evil. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, I'm, you know, I might, I might be completely wrong, but that's, that's what I'm seeing is it's this mm. duality happening um, and this, this vying for what is the next monetary system going to be? And you're right. If the world economic, you know, if, if the globalists went out or the Nephilim hosts, as mm -hmm. I call them, is if they get their monetary system, um, it will be quite ugly for sure. Yeah. Um, but if we can transition to this asset backed currency and moving more towards a quantum financial system, um, it, I think, has the potential of being much better. I I really hope you're right. And that's really super fascinating. I like that idea a lot. Um, do you see my background here and uh, the background back there, the gray and black? Uh, that is a flag uh, for what is called agorism. And hmm. so agorism, it's uh, there was a guy who made a book called The New Libertarian Manifesto. And it was basically about um, bypassing the government control by using black and gray markets. So like uh, avoiding taxes because you're feeding the beast, you're feeding, you know, you're feeding the government and they're bombing third world countries and killing little kids with your tax dollars. So mm -hmm. like in a way we could barter. So, uh, so this is sort of the whole agorist idea of like getting to know your community, getting to know your neighbors. Like this guy has chickens, like I have chickens. So we have eggs and so this guy has milk, this guy has bread, or we can trade, we can barter. And uh, that is what the agorism is all about. And so that, that's my backup plan simultaneously. <laughs> yes. I love that. And I think that's what we need. You know, I just, Recently, um, I met a person in, he's a forensic CPA and his name is Alan Meyer and he's in San Diego. And he, um, he, so I, I have kind of the spiritual component and big picture of the federal reserve. He has practical ways that we can end the fed. And mm. I absolutely love it. He does a, a course called End the Fed. And it's, I think that it's is like, the goal of Agoras is to okay. end the Fed, which is fantastic. So I will yeah. connect you with him um, to see Please. if there's, um, even if you, you have him on your show, he has his own radio show where he talks about this a lot. But that's what we need. It's, it's that coming together that I was talking about where we each have a piece that we need to, to bring together because you know, we, the people can end this central banking stuff. Um, I, I believe yeah. that we can, you know, we, we have incredible ingenuity, creativity, you know, people with incredible minds that can come together. And then also people that are absolutely passionate to see our liberties restored to us and to yeah. see us set free from this debt enslavement system. And so we don't have to just passively sit by and and hope for the best. You know, we can actually get engaged. And that's one of the things that I love that he's doing is he's he has classes called End the Fed and how you can get engaged in your own community 
towards moving towards this. So it's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really, really awesome. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit more about, so do you think, or, so we've already talked about, so Nephilim are here physically in our reality. Uh, do we, do we see them on television? Do, I mean, is that out Anderson Cooper? Is he in it like, <laughs> like Hillary Clinton? Like, right. Well, you're getting close for sure. Um, so let me actually, probably a good way to answer that question is to distinguish, um, again, Nephilim hosts from hybrids or Nephilim and from people who would be demonized because there's a difference between them. Um, so again, Nephilim hosts are those individuals that have decided to partner with the spiritual forces of darkness. And mm -hmm. um, now I have, like I mentioned, I have proposed criteria in my book as far as physical traits and behavioral characteristics of what a Nephilim host would look like. And so um, it's proposed because, you know, you'd ha we'd have to do a whole lot more research to determine, yeah. yes, the these, in fact, are criteria that you could diagnose somebody. Um, but it's a good start because it helps us, um, you know, have eyes wide open. So without going through the whole list, some of the behavioral characteristics are treasonous behavior, you know, exploiting others without remorse, um, engaging in death um, rituals or sexual rituals, trafficking of humans, cannibalism, that type of stuff. And, Sounds like a lot of politicians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of Nephilim hosts that are in our midst um, that are operating, but then there's um, hybrids. And so you have um, different types of hybrids. You would have um, those that are like enhanced humans. So humans 2.0. So people who are having like augmented um, parts of their bodies um, to have extra strength or whatnot. In fact, I remember Elon um, Musk. Mm -hmm, Elon Musk China, is, yeah. The, chi the oh, Chinese yeah, soldiers absolutely. Mm -hmm. are um, super soldiers. And so that's an example of that type of hybridization. But then there is, and I don't want to go too far into the weeds because this would be like a whole nother topic um, or a whole nother discussion, but there We're just going to have to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> within satanic ritual abuse, um, there mm. are programs where um, people that are programmed, like, so government mind control victims, people that are steeped in, um, you know, this SRA, satanic ritual abuse. There are women who have specifically been um, raised to birth hybrids. So they are birthing Nephilim. And that began during the, the era of Hitler and Joseph Mengele. And, um, Again, I don't want to go too deep into it right now, but um, so there are hybrids that have been birthed since 19. Well, the mothers of the hybrids were birthed in the 1940s, some of them. So the Nephilim would have been birthed, you know, 15, 20 years after that. But um, they are the like I've um, I don't personally know hybrid birthing moms, but I personally know someone who works with them. So who does, um, deprogramming and, um, 
So these these women have birthed Nephilim and they describe them as they they look like humans um, and they are just exquisite individuals. So very attractive. They're all male, um, at least hmm. from or what I've male. heard. I don't know if all no. Nephilim are male that are on earth, but the ones I mean, that I would probably venture to guess, right? I mean, because the angels were built after God's image and man was built after God's image. And then woman came after, I mean, it, they would at least appear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. And so yeah. the description is that, you know, they're, they're highly intelligent and they're incredible specimens, just absolutely gorgeous to behold. And, but many of them are not above ground. So many of them are underground and some of them are off world um, is what has been described. But there are Nephilim that walk among us for sure. Um, it's just not the vast majority of them. I would say the vast majority of what we see is Nephilim hosts. So do you think that all the Nephilim are united in their goals? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's fascinating too. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, my pastor told me this story um, when I was, when I was probably, I was, I was a teenager. We were doing construction on this like old kind of like junky apartment. And he was telling me that uh, there had been like a meth satanic biker gang that had been kind of, that kind of owned these apartments and they had had prostitutes. Uh, so they had kidnapped these women and used them as prostitutes. And they were um, harvesting the children and using them for blood sacrifice. Yeah. And, and I mean, I have no reason to disbelieve what he told me. I mean, he's one of the most honest people that I've ever met. Um, and he had known, he had known one of the women that had tried to run away and yeah. That. So I've, um, I've actually, we've had prayer initiatives, you know, back to the spiritual mapping. Um, I think it was in 2000, either 2018 or 19, um, here in Utah, we, um, developed a connection with people that were coming out of satanic ritual abuse and they were um, raised in it. And um, there's a lot of activity that happens at the dream mine in Utah. And um, so we went and we prayed there. And also um, they, this family described, um, and I, I don't want to go into two specifics, um, but there are, um, there are children that just like you were saying that are breeded um, for specific ritual abuse. And um, they were in underground underneath like police stations in some of the local towns. Um, and they were stacked in cages, three to a cage, these children. And um you know, it, it just is, it's so horrific. And that's one of the, that's one of the reasons I, I do what I do and trying to wake people up to this Nephilim agenda, because there, there are children that, that need us, that need us to, to rescue them. And, you know, I'm not necessarily boots on the ground rescuing children, 
but I've worked with people and I've seen families come out of this abuse and it's very real. And you know, when you come out of that, your life is threatened. And this family had to move because their life was being threatened here in Utah. It was no longer safe for them. So it's very real. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's something that's, it's hard to fathom, but I think we need to have eyes wide open again because um, the stuff is happening. We need to draw attention to it. And thankfully there are people that are doing the hard boots on the ground work with working with these individuals and deprogramming them and seeing them experience the healing that only Jesus can bring. And, you know, these people that are in satanic ritual abuse, they have multiple personality disorders or dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. They are fractured in so many different personalities. And so part of the work is integrating those personalities. And, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of intense work. That is something that I don't think Donald Trump gets enough credit for, at least like mm -hmm. I, my, my personal self, I'm an anarchist. Um, so I don't like Donald Trump is a heck of a lot better than Joe Biden, but I didn't vote for him. <laughs> but um, what I have to say is that like, he really was cleaning up. Like we would hear little blips here and there. They're like, we just saved 300 kids here or we just saved you know like we just busted this many pedophiles and then it would be gone in an instant because the media doesn't want to report on it the media wants to sweep it under the rug immediately because who knows who it's connected to they want to forget about it and memory hole it yeah absolutely yeah well Dr. Laura, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to have to have you come back on. I have so many questions. Um, tell us again, uh, what's the name of your book? Tell us where we can find it. What's the best way to buy it? Do you want us to buy it from Amazon or can I buy it directly from your website? Like what's the best way? Where do you get the most money for your book? Like um, it, it comes through Amazon either way. That's how my publisher does it. And so if you you can purchase it from my website, which is no longer enslaved.com, or you can go directly to Amazon and it's called the roots of the federal reserve. Awesome. And then also, you know, if, if you or your listeners, like I mentioned, I just started a YouTube channel and I'm doing a 10 part series called the impact of the Nephilim agenda today. And I go into more than what we've touched on today, but yeah. um, if, if you want a little bit deeper dive, that's another way to do it. Awesome. And then we can find you on Telegram and you said. and Yes. And then also my website is no longer enslaved.com. And I write articles once a month on COVID-19, on globalism, Federal Reserve, also on family and child advocacy and health and wellness. That's that's awesome. And can you tell me one more time, uh, what's the name of the what's the counter uh, acting uh, the that's going against um, Klaus Schwab's uh, greater, a uh, great quantum, reset. Quantum financial system. That's awesome. Are you writing blogs about that? Is there stuff? Not yet. Find? I'm trying to okay. gain as much understanding um, as I can. Like I said, I feel like I know, you know, just this, a, a small portion of it, or at least understand it. And I want to yeah. understand it more before I write an article on it. Yeah. Um, there are things that you can find out on the, the internet. It's not, you know, it's not widely um, talked about because mainstream wants us to go with the Great Reset, you know, with yeah. Klaus Schwab. 
So you really have to dig for it. But I do believe kind of there's this, this underground movement, underground in a good way, <laughs> movement of trying to bring forth a monetary system that won't enslave us. Awesome. Thank you again, Dr. Laura. Thanks for having me. It was great to be with you.